Hi, I'm Sabrina and he's Marcus. And we are two of the founders of The Black Trail Runners. You can find us on Instagram at The Black Trail Runners. We're a community and campaigning group seeking to increase inclusion, participation and representation of black people in trail running. If something resonates with you, please let us know and share online. Also, leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected as it helps our podcast grow. Your support helps to make this podcast possible. Thank you for downloading this episode. Now, let's head to the conversation. The Checkpoint is supported by the North Face, whose fundamental mission remains unchanged since 1966, to provide the best gear for their athletes and the modern-day explorer, support the preservation of the outdoors, and inspire a global movement of exploration. Community is so important, and what we'd like to do is celebrate the voices within the Black Trail Running community. So what we're going to be doing is doing a regular spot like this, where we highlight and celebrate some of the voices within this community. So if there's something you want to share, such as training, races, your wins, your lessons, your reflections, whether you want to share a joke, or even share your thoughts on a previous podcast, please get in touch with me, either on the Facebook group or just get in touch with me on Instagram. With that being said, now let's listen to the voices of the community. My name is Kwana Dyer-Petrus, and I recently ran my first 50K. I ran it unsupported. I'm excited to enter the world of ultra running. I first had the idea about three years ago after running my second marathon, but then came a pelvic fracture, which set me back about a year. This year has been filled with so much uncertainty given the COVID and also the BLM movement and polarization of U.S. politics. So I'm especially grateful to have been able to achieve this goal of mine in 2020, given all the circumstances, and I'm ready to run the next one. Running is meditative for me, and I'm grateful for it. So we're back at the checkpoint. Sabrina, how are you getting on? We are. I'm getting on all right, thanks, Marcus. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, well, as well as can be during the current situation that we find ourselves in. As we're recording this, we're entering day one of lockdown in the UK and obviously waiting to hear back from the US election results. So there's a lot happening externally. So it's uh, definitely a lot of uncertainty right now. There is. Yeah. I mean, we still don't know over here in the UK. You know, we're recording this a couple of days before the podcast comes out. And I think the the gap between Biden and Trump is is very narrow, maybe with Biden taking a slight lead. But um, we're really, we know within the Black Trail Runners community Facebook group that we've got that we have a couple of American trail runners there. And certainly there's um, there's an- a lot of anxiety in terms of where this is going. And, you know, we support, you know, we are here. And, and, and just like you are, we're watching the news to kind of see what happens. But... You know, I think if anything, what I've seen is that people are using their running in order to deal with what is going on out there in the world at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's, it's you know, we're here in lockdown too in the UK or over in the States. If you're listening, you know, trying to trying to get to grips as to who your next president's going to be. So there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of stress. Um, so I'm glad to be here today talking to you. Yeah, like you said, the time this podcast goes out, we're going to know who the president is. But I mean it still creates a lot of uncertainty and I was just like 
yes, listen to it. Yes, I was thinking, I just need to get out, go for a run and clear my head. And then when I was doing that, you know, you feel good for like that moment, but it seemed like every stray dog decided to follow me. Either was jumping, it was even in my way. I had to hurdle them, swerve them, or they were like my running partner. It's just like people were your dogs. It's like if you can't, do it, they're not going to listen to your, your commands. They should really be the leash. So um, that's, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, I my running took a bit of a nosedive while I was moving. So we completed on our house move last Friday. And um, I just had to put my running on the back burner because we were moving really heavy stuff from our house to a storage unit. And, and it was very physically and mentally challenging. And I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't handle even thinking about having to go out and do a specific session. So my run very, my runs took a back burner and that's all right. You know, that's okay. Um, in life, if it all feels a bit much, much, you know, we have to reprioritize and the priority was moving my family. Um, but I've been really grateful this week to kind of have that kind of part of my life done and to be able to get out there on the trails, you know, I went out yesterday and, and just took loads of photos while I was out and just took it really, really easy with the dog who I had on a lead whenever we came past other walkers or runners. I mean, with animals, for example, and not always going to listen to instructions, like humans don't always listen to instructions, but at the same time, people are just like, oh, what, this is my dog or my dog has been friendly or what's he like or but at the same time, they should still have a good command. If they're not going to listen to you, then you really need to be asking questions yourself. I think so. I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's always kind of, you know, I think there's three camps. There's those that believe dogs should be on the lead all the time. There's those that don't, that believe dogs should be able to roam free if they're friendly, but let's bear in mind it's a dog. So therefore it might be friendly one minute and then not be friendly the next. And there's those that sit in the middle. I'm very much that... You know, if I'm in an area that there are little to no walkers, children, other runners, and, and that is easier on the trails, then I will let my dog off the lead. And and his commands, um, uh, you know, he obeys commands quite well in terms of coming back to me if we see anyone and holding him by the collar. Um, but, you know, I've been the runner where I've been running path, even with my dog, and there's been another on lead and there's been another dog off lead who has come up who has jumped up at me who does not listen to commands and I think that you know you need to be really aware of that if you're a dog owner because there are people that are really really scared of dogs and 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 it's not appropriate for your dog to jump up at a stranger it's just not yeah I agree I know they're family members but you know we've probably got family members that we don't like so um <laughs> just like yeah. you've got exposed yeah. to you know general society so yeah my my dog friend exactly how the hell did we we how the hell did we get on talking about dogs and running that was you running and having dogs yeah I had two random experiences like yeah from my running the other day I, I was running and this dog just jumped up on me and then the second time was just like you know running past dogs or over dogs it's like where are these blooming dogs coming from? Am <laughs> <laughs> like, I like Dr. Doolittle or something? I'm like, just let me just run. Yeah. Well, the thing is now we're in lockdown too, more and more people are looking for yeah. excuses to be able to go out and exercise. So we are going to find over the next four weeks yeah. or however long lockdown two lasts, that more people are probably going to be borrowing people's dogs or going out with their own dogs more often yeah. in order to get out. So 
so yeah, just just be mindful, people, that if you've got a dog that that not everybody wants even a friendly dog coming up to them, you know. Do you know, ironically, we're moving on to Dee's uh, later on oh, in the episode, yeah. but we didn't put dogs in there, but we've, uh, we've covered dogs now anyway. So let's, let's move past the dogs <laughs> and talk about today's guest. Oh, what a guest she is. Uh, Matilda Egree Cooper, amazing journalist, award-winning journalist, um, and, and, and founder, and I want to say manager, but that sounds too businesslike or Fly Girl Collective. Uh, what an interview she is. It just felt like a really easy conversation. It didn't really feel like an interview so much. It didn't. I felt like a lot of, you know, good, yeah, a lot of good banter back and forth. And, uh, you know, we got some really good insights into why she's, you know, set things up. And, uh, you know, I won't give too much away, but I mean, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think it felt like a really, to me, it felt like a really, uh, a deep conversation in the sense of, it felt quite spiritual. And I know, you know, one of the things, and if you follow Matilda um, on Instagram or any other social media channel, you know, she is a woman of faith. And I think it felt, some of the conversations we get into, it, you know, it felt quite deep. It, it, it transcended uh, you know, transcended running, trail running, and, and you know, talked about, we talk about people and we talk about who we are as people. And it's, um, I really, really enjoyed it uh, as, uh, yeah, we were interviewing her and she was waiting for a delivery. <laughs> so um, we were very aware that we didn't want to take up too much of her time on a Friday night, but the conversation got so just got so good um we actually yeah we we kind of <laughs> i think the de- delivery kind of interrupted the podcast a bit while she went off and picked it up but um hey we'll never want to stop stop a woman or a man um getting their food delivery in no i mean not even a podcast is worth that no. you know so uh, we've got like people like yeah and there's another d for the a to z of trail running is delivery <laughs> <laughs> true that is very true I mean, with that being said, let's head to the conversation. Matilda Aguirre-Cooper has spent 20 years working as a highly skilled content editor, project manager, creative strategist and award-winning writer. As a journalist, she produced content for global media outlets, including the BBC, Reuters, Time Out and CNN. Since then, she's gone on to develop expertise in areas such as digital content marketing, content strategy, social media and community building. Matilda is a long distance runner and founder of the amazing Fly Girl Collective, London's first running fitness and wellness community with the aim to inspire black and brown women to pursue a healthy fitness lifestyle through running. Most recently, their first virtual challenge, Run for the Culture, has been amazing and something that I really want to talk to her about. And it celebrates Black History Month and has got loads of black and brown women smashing their fitness goals this autumn. Matilda is a vocal campaigner for greater representation and isn't afraid to call out sports brands and media for their lack of representation when it comes to the inclusion of black and brown people in their campaigns and content. Matilda, welcome to the Checkpoint. 
That was quite an intro. Well done. <laughs> I am flattered, maybe a bit embarrassed, but also very humble. Thank you. Oh, we are so glad that you have given us time this evening, Matilda. I have been a big fan of yours um, in the background and then obviously kind of more latterly when when working on building the Black Trail Runners community. Um, you know, Fly Girl kind of had me wishing I lived in London rather oh, than this <laughs> tiny Cotswold town that I live in. So we are so grateful to have you here. Amazing. I'm sure you could start like a Fly Girl Collective like spin-off where you are, Sabrina. You know what? Also Matilda's blessing. Yeah. I mean, you know, anything is possible. Anything is possible, Marcus. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very keen to hear more about the collective from this lady tonight. So uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Agreed. So getting into the questions, Matilda, what is one important skill that you think everyone should have? Whoa. <laughs> that is such a good question. Um, I have to say I am a stickler for good writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, writing for me is the is a fundamental because it's how we communicate. And if everybody can write well, it means we can communicate well. And it means that we probably won't get into issues of miscommunication and all that stuff. I think... You know, and and it's interesting because in the last sort of few decades of doing what I do and just seeing the way writing has become something of a fundamental through social media, um, it is interesting to see how even though everybody's using that kind of methodology, it doesn't always come across particularly well, (laughs) like on Twitter. Mm. So Mm. yeah, I would definitely say writing. Mm. So I guess like tech speak and all that kind of stuff definitely isn't high in your agenda there (laughs) i mean i don't love it (laughs) i see people use it i'm like you know you could have added the extra o's for good like it doesn't make things that quicker by saying gd like come on (laughs) (laughs) i hear you i think it really it's a really that's a, a, a really great answer i think that you know i ran a pr company for 20 years and i but i was so scared of writing initially when i started because someone that told me when i was quite young that i i was really really bad at writing and it stayed with me for so many years and therefore kind of I developed more of like a vocal communication skill you know I, I love talking to journalists such as yourself and like selling in stories and mm. and kind of just really researching and giving journalists what they wanted and I think it's really only within the last couple of years that I've become more confident in my own writing voice does that make sense yeah no totally and you know for myself it's one of those things where I was taught that you just have to practice it you know the more mm. you do it and the more you're conscious of how you're doing it, the better you become, as well as reading, you know, if you're Mm. an avid reader, you become a a better writer. Mm. Mm. And it always reminds me of like what Maya Angelou said, you know, words are powerful. So Mm. if you say it or spoken, it's got, it's got meaning and force to it. So absolutely agree. Yeah. And for me running, you know, represents freedom, fun expression, but what does the act of running mean for you? Wow. So I I do get asked this quite a bit and it's kind of evolved. So I know there was a time in my life where running was just the thing that I did to try to stay fit. 
Um, it was affordable. I could do it. It was accessible. I just needed trainers. Um, but I guess in my latter years, as I've gotten on in age, you know, running very much for me kind of similar to you represents freedom, but it's also just my moment of solace and a bit of downtime. Like it's the one time when I'm less stressed and I can do like my sort of thinking or enjoy music or even listen to a podcast, you know, very rarely nowadays am I running thinking about my pace or, you know, hitting certain goals or targets, you know, if I can just go out and just run whatever distance I've set myself, especially, you know, since, uh, you know, we've been in the pandemic, I just think about all the kind of moments of calm I I can have when I'm running. So yeah, it's sort of freedom and, and solace and downtime. And has it been less stressful during lockdown? Because I know for some people, it's actually got more stressful running and having that extra thinking time. Yeah. I mean, it's become less stressful because I'm not training for anything. Mm. <laughs> um, and Training I, for life. Training for life. True. true. <laughs> but in the sense that prior to you know lockdown, I was training for Manchester Marathon. And when it eventually got canceled, I'm not going to lie. I was like, yes, <laughs> phew, because these long runs. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm just like, I just need to chill for a bit. And cause I had, I had two marathons in the diary this year. I had um, Manchester and uh, Chicago and you know, I don't hate marathons, but I mean, if I had a choice, <laughs> um, you know, cause I, cause I do them simply because, you know, I think it's important to challenge myself. So in some mm-hmm. ways I've kind of made it a thing that I should endeavor to do, but in this instance, it was like, whew, yeah, yeah maybe I can now do five K's again. And, you know, <laughs> okay's. um, so it's definitely become less stressful. Um, if anything, the stress initially, sorry, hackney busyness. Um, if anything, the stress initially was going out and to run with a mask, to not with, run with a mask. Am I staying within the 30 minute limit? Like, you know, just yeah. things that I've never had to think about. And since, you know, things have uh, sort of gone on, you know, I'm back to just like running for joy. Mm. I love that. I love that idea of running for joy because you you just touched on so many things there that as a woman, as a a woman of a certain age as well, um, you know, sometimes I find myself and it kind of links into my next question to you, getting into the whole kind of comparison um, despair. You know, I'll see other women or I'll be in a group with other women and they'll be having a particularly great session and I'll maybe be trying to, you know, I don't know, hit a certain pace that I think I should be able to do. And I kind of can come away from that session kind of feeling quite joyless Mm. rather than running for that joy. You know, how do you, you know, from a, a mental health perspective, keep your runs kind of, you know, in that more positive sphere rather than getting into that kind of, you know, that kind of compare and despair type. I should be doing this. You know, I was training for Manchester as well. And actually 
I was absolutely gutted when it wasn't on because I trained so hard. But but I went out and did my own time trial because I knew that I still, I needed that kind of natural finish to it Mm -hmm. because I needed needed that for my mental health. So how do you, there's a lot in that. So let me put it simply, kind of how do you continue to feel the joy when you're running in a world which seems at times kind of so despairing? Sure. Um, I guess there's two contexts of running for me. So the first context is running by myself and again, not thinking about much, just putting on some music that I really enjoy. You know, I'm a massive music fan, used to be a music journalist. Um, and it's just fascinating the way music can just, you know, set your mood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of late, I've started running with one of the girls from the collective who lives quite close by to me and you know we're just having a chat so we're not even thinking about the actual act of running we're literally Mm -hmm. hanging out going out for what has turned out to be super long distance runs on a weekday I'm like girl why are we doing seven miles yeah (laughs) but we are (laughs) we're enjoying it um and then the context of say the runs that I organized for the collective For me, the mission with those was always to ensure that no matter where people were in their running journey, whether they've just laced up this year or they've been running for some time, that they come to a run and they leave feeling happy. And that's Mm. because we're not doing, I guess, the things that traditional run groups do. You know, we play like a lot of games. Um, You know, we kind of, I mean, if anything, it's it's more sort of interval training because it's like a and starting we kind of set it within a, in a park a set space and fundamentally no one really gets left behind so mm. I think I sort of put kind of contentment at the forefront of any kind of fitness activity that I do and I get I think that's how I, I managed to sort of maintain that joy you know mm. whereas, you know yeah I have my personal goals you know I want to um, become a lot more toned like next year is a milestone age for me <laughs> it's, it's a- <laughs> I'm like, yo, I need to be fly at 40. Like this has to happen. happen. So even then it's like, but I don't want to pressure myself. I just want to do the best that I can. So for me, I think goals and and metrics, they're nice. And I think they're important to work towards, but I don't think they should come at the expense of our own kind of mental health. Oh yeah. uh, Totally, totally on board with that. Hey, Matilda, I did the marathon day sub for my 40th. So, hey, there's an idea. <laughs> I love it. Could, could do it. Could, could. do it. <laughs> you could just go for a drink or something like that. Yeah, I could, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, there there is that, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, you went hardcore, Sabrina, but it was an amazing experience from, like, you speaking to you about it as well. And, Matilda, just thinking about, to you spoke about working as a music journalist I mean what's on your playlist I mean what sort of songs sort of get you going for a run wow okay so I'm actually quite non-traditional when it comes to my playlist because I love everything from gospel music to like neo soul jazz um occasionally I listen to hip-hop but as I said, you know, I'm very much in a mellow mood when I'm running. So, you know, I'll, I'll listen to some really obscure stuff. Um, you know, I like Thundercat, 
Anderson mm-hmm. Pack, yeah. um, you know, just that kind of like left field soul mm-hmm. R and B. Um, yeah. yeah, that's kind of me, really, because I always feel like I don't want to feel anxious when I'm running. Like, well, yeah. like I mean, I love Drake, right? But it's like, do I need to listen to this on a run? Like, do I need to feel angsty right now? Not really. <laughs> and I'm talking about Drake's like you know, upbeat stuff, not the emo stuff. Yeah. I was about to say, I was like, Drake is not that gangster. <laughs> he can he can be what he wants to be. <laughs> oh, with hotline bling and that sort of stuff, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> no, but fair play though, because I've, I've heard other people sort of say similar type things in terms of having more sort of chilled music, especially because <laughs> you just don't want to be sort of amped up. And I think this year, stressful enough as it is so um no that makes a lot of sense yeah and you've spoken about obviously you've worked in journalism and I know you've lectured in as well you've conducted interviews been interviewed by so many other people and I Mm -hmm. guess you get asked the same questions a lot of the time so if you were interviewing yourself what would you (laughs) ask yourself oh my goodness that's a great question (laughs) (laughs) what would I ask myself um I think I would ask myself, who was I before I became me? And it's something which, because people tend to, you know, talk about the the, the CV stuff, which is great. Mm-hmm. But I was recently talking to my therapist about the fact that, you know, I'm I'm quite an achiever and I've always endeavored to work really hard and, you know, make a mark in some way. But before I, you know, went to uni, before I went to college, when I was just a schoolgirl in Texas who was really sporty, you know, I was someone else, you know, I was the very essence of who I was. And I still feel like that person. But as you get older, you're so much defined by what you do. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, mm. I'm always trying to get back to like, Matilda, who were you before you? You know, what were the things that you were doing? What did you really love? And I think Grounding myself in, in that helps me navigate life so much better because I don't think about things in the context of maybe what people expect of me or, you know, what is seen as an accolade. Like I'm always grateful to God for every, you know, opportunity to especially get like the message and the mission of Safe Flight or Collective. Yeah. I'm so much more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what aspect of the past are you kind of trying to reconnect with? Um... Interestingly enough, I feel like I like to think about my, I think about my childhood a lot. I I moved to the UK when I was 12 years old um, from Texas. And I just remember, you know, the time I had left, I mean, where mom says go, you go. My mom's Nigerian. So, (laughs) you know, she decided that, you know, she wanted to set up a new life in the UK and, and, you know, we, we followed her accordingly, but I just have so many amazing memories of growing up in Texas, finding my identity there, you know, as a young black girl, um, the music, I mean, we talk so much about representation and diversity now, but I feel like for me, those seeds were so, like, were planted as a child. Um, cause you know, back then, and we're talking like early nineties, you know, we yeah. had BET, you know, I saw myself very well represented. And so mm. in that kind of being disrupted when I moved to the UK, 
and just thinking about, oh yeah, how come I can't hear Mary J. Blige on the radio anymore? Or, you know, why, yeah, <laughs> yeah why am I, why do I feel very different in the context that I am? I, I, do, I do kind of hold on to that moment, but equally, I feel like I've been able to recreate it in small ways, especially in my adulthood, especially through the things that I sort of enjoy and engage in. Wow. That's, that's, I, what I love about what you just said is, you know, in the context of, 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 of you growing up in Texas and, you know, being surrounded by that culture and that, you know, hearing it, seeing it, et cetera, and then coming to the UK and asking yourself those, you know, those questions about kind of why does it feel different here? Um, and, you know, you, you talked about, you talked about having therapy and stuff like that. I think many, many of us, you know, will be, you know, black, brown kind of, you know, minority ethnic spend, you know, especially kind of, you know, I can only talk about my own experience and lived experience in the UK growing up in a, a very, very white place. Mm. You know, I spent a lot of my adulthood running away from that person, you know, yeah. running away from, be, you know, who that kid was that mm. kind of had to go through all that. And it's, you know, it's through therapy that I've actually kind of started to come to terms with mm. with my past and actually kind of almost reclaiming that which I didn't have as a child, you know, in terms of yeah. the representation and everything like that. And I think, you know, this, what I see on social media and, and what the messages that I receive um, from people are about how they love women like yourself you know Dora who you know is is a black woman as co-founder as well really stepping into that light and saying we're here and these communities are needed and we do claim this space you know um and I think it's through you know it, it's through collectives it's through community and those lived experiences that we actually can start to I don't know maybe make some peace with the stuff that's kind of happened to us in the past yeah absolutely and you know if anything I think the timing is 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 right like the the time is now you know to to be Mm -hmm. cliche about it because you know as much as I grew up having this sort of black pride um I wasn't always able to manifest it as openly as I would have liked, you know, and, and I think Mm -hmm. I've spoken in the past about, you know, playing some degree of respectability, you know, because it was one way to navigate. But I think in recent years, especially with everything that's been happening in the U S and with black lives matter, it definitely felt like, okay, now this is the time where I can be who I always was. It was yeah. just behind closed doors. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just behind closed doors and, you know, just being able to just be unapologetically myself. Um, but also giving people the opportunity, opportunity to learn more about my world and my culture you yeah. know, it's been mutually rewarding, I'd like to say, you know, because yeah. um, I feel like people are now understanding things about uh, the reality of black people that they just weren't privy to. And maybe, you know, there's an argument to say maybe I wasn't willing to share it. You know, yeah. maybe I was scared that if I was to reveal a certain aspect of my life that it might get rejected because maybe of one negative experience that I happened, happened, you know, it's that negativity bias, right? Like we hold on to the bad experience and now more so 
than ever before. We're recognizing that and being able to sort of be ourselves. Some people, a lot of people are, are embracing that. Mm, mm. I mean, that's, you know yeah. that is such a great question, though. Sorry, just, just take it back take it to back. what you said. I mean, who was I before I became me? Mm-hmm. And I can't sort of help but when I listen to that, but think, okay, there's you, but then there's the external factors. And then there's our previous generations, like where our parents came from, where our grandparents came from, knowing where they came from. And it's learning to sort of dissect through all of that yes. to get to this point. So it's, it's so many layers within that question. It's almost like poetry almost. Mm-hmm. That question. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's deep because, you know, sometimes, you know, when people talk about, oh, if I could speak to my, younger self self, you know and I've got one of those weird selective memories that I only have like patchy memories of my younger self like I remember aspects of me like I've always been you know super driven sporty and really jokey but it's I I would just love to meet me (laughs) like like somehow like some time machine and just be like okay this is what you were like and oh you were actually really shy because you know to that point when you're trying to navigate life and the world, you know, you do become a bit more performative. You do start, you know, being something else to just feel accepted. You yeah. know, like I remember someone said to me once, um, they were talking about like, I can't remember what the context was, but it was like, oh, that's like acting black. And we were like, okay, what's acting black? Is it that we're all perpetuating this stereotype of blackness that we've seen through us films and that's why we do certain things or is that what it means to be a black person like what is that and i kind of feel now in the 21st century we have all these different facets of what the black experience is that it is very difficult now to pin it down to one sort of identity or vernacular and and that mm. i think is the freedom of of now mm. Oh, it's per- it's on. I'm, I'm just sitting like nodding. If you could see me, it's just like I'm just <laughs> nodding away. I'm like, I just want to just soak everything up. Mm. Um, I uh, ha- I'm I'm friendly with. I uh, I don't know if you've heard of the community group Black Girls Hike. Um, yeah, yeah, so much. <laughs> and um, I know that Rianne, who's just such a joy and just such a leader and, 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 and is just doing such great stuff in that hot black hiking space. But I know that, you know, as a black female and I, and I can only talk as, you know, as a female um, and other black female community leaders have been hit with the card often from white people, but also, you know, from, from some black people too, who maybe mm. don't have the same lived experiences of why are you creating these communities it's divisive. Mm. Why can't white people join you? Mm-hmm. Isn't that racist? Mm-hmm. What I wanted to ask you as a woman who I'm sure, well, I'm not sure I would ask you, have you been met with that kind of response mm-hmm. for about Fly Girl Collective? And, and the second part of that question is, why is holding space for black and brown females only when Fly Girls Collective so important to you? Mm-hmm. Um, so firstly, yes, I, I was definitely met with that um, at the beginning of, of launching. And um, it was unfortunate because, you know, for me, it was like, well, what are you seeing that I'm not necessarily seeing? Because mm. I just wanted to hang out with 
like-minded women of a similar, if not, yeah, similar culture, cultural references, everything. You know, when we talk about 4C hair, it's like, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Or if I change my hair, you wouldn't even blink, right? It's not a thing, which has been my reality when I've been in, you know, mainstream spaces. Um, But in terms of the importance of it, you know, I think it's just having that relatability, you know, as, as I said, you know, as you navigate life, suddenly things suddenly change, you know, you, you go to university and then all of a sudden your peer group is completely different to what your family looked like. Mm. And if we had the advantage of being in spaces where it was always multicultural, um, then it just wouldn't be a thing to suddenly need to find people you can relate to. But then what happens is when you're in these new spaces, whether it's the university experience or your first corporate job, is that suddenly people treat you in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. suddenly you're just like othered or suddenly it's like, oh, what, what's that you're cooking? Or, you know, and it's just like, this is just my normality. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, Everyday reality. So sometimes you just want a space where you just feel normal you know, where you don't have to hide facets of who you are or have to conform, you know, you just want that sigh of relief. Um, and because that is like a constant thing that, you know, we understand, we know we've experienced that has an incredible impact on your mental health. Yeah. Incredible. Like people don't fully recognize, you know, they say, Oh yeah, you know, black women, they're so strong and they're so this or so that, but I would, challenge that we're actually not as strong as we look mm. a lot of that is a facade because of all the stuff that we're dealing with so you know for me at the very least having a black only space is for the sake of my mental health and if anybody mm. wants to challenge that then that in of itself would be very problematic mm. boom <laughs> boom <laughs> it's just yeah I mean you know I when I hear that that you know we've we've been hit with that as black trail runners you know when when myself after actually after the we myself and Sunny Pitt who's a black trail runners co-founder were on the runners world podcast you know before anyone had had a chance to even listen to the podcast we had comments within two minutes of it going live on their social media, you know, the divisive, aren't you being racist? This is, oh, you're so woke, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, my response was, you know, when you've walked a mile in our shoes, then please come and, you know, let's have a conversation about it. But, you know, it's, it, this is our experience. This is the reason, you know, the reason, there is a reason that we've set up this community. There is a reason that, you know, it's called Black Trail Runners, because there is a lack of diversity in trail running. So what trail running is currently is a white space. So, mm. you know, it's, it's, but it's, it was important for me to kind of ask that question because I know that other black, you know, black female community leaders kind of deal with, deal with those questions on the, on the daily. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's about also recognizing that people who ask that and the intention isn't innocent are essentially projecting because when they yeah. create, spaces it's for the sole purpose of excluding from a negative standpoint right like it's yeah it's not you know and it's funny because we talk about you know white supremacy and systemic racism and it's like the reason why these things exist is because it is about marginalizing a group of people in a negative way there's Mm -hmm. nothing negative (laughs) about having a special interest group 
who has no intention, like the intention isn't to suddenly be like, yeah, and white people, you're just over there. That's yeah. not what we're trying to do. But if people then can't see the the good of what we're doing, then yeah. It, yeah. 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 They've got a lot of learning to do. A lot of learning. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. And moving to the left here, in a recent uh, Runner's World podcast that you did with Corey, mm. you spoke about writing for them. And I know that writing isn't something you've not done before. You spoke about the importance of it at the start of this podcast. So what can readers expect from your work in terms of how you'll sort of keep running, I guess, a centerpiece, but keep it true to your values? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, I have to admit, I am going to be writing sporadically. (laughs) 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 I have a day job. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think the truth is, you know, Runners World came to me with these, you know, opportunities to do some writing. And I went along with it because it very much felt like it was something that I could um, do sincerely Um, And it's something that I wanted to do. So, you know, the first piece was just why I started Fly Girl Collective and the the benefits of of running for Black women. You know, the second one has been about Jesse Owens, who I have, you know, respected and have just found a very fascinating individual who dealt with racism in his own unique way. Um, And I kind of felt that in me writing it as a black woman, I would probably be able to bring a perspective to it um, that may not have, you know, been the case. Um, And then, yeah, other things are just sort of like my lived experience. Like if I'm writing about running sort of from a kind of objective standpoint, um, yeah, that's fine, but that's just not who I am. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? And equally, I don't always want to necessarily be like, oh, she's just a black girl that writes about black stuff. Like it's it's not Mm. Um, but I definitely think it'll have to be something that naturally resonates with me. Yeah. And that's important that, isn't it? I mean, it's important. I know that listening to the Runners World podcast, we were talking, you, um, I think Christy and Malcolm being appointed, you know, kind of head coach at UK, UKA and you kind of were talking about that. And now I know, cause I've been on various UKA panels of late talking about kind of race and stuff like that. And, you know, one of the key things that we, that came out of those conversations was that actually, you know, Let's, you know, yes, Christian Markham is black, but he is a fantastic coach. Like he is, you know, he had to go to Australia, you know, to, and he should have been appointed head coach years ago, you know, and, you know, this is what we were saying is, you know, yes, yes, we are people of color. Yes, we are black, but actually we are just good at what we do. You know, we are, we are, you are great journalists. I mean, you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, it, it, it sometimes frustrates me that um, the, the, the underlying message in some of these things that you'll see out there is, oh, they only got the job or they only got to, to do that because, mm. oh, Black Lives Matter or because they're black or because she's mixed race. or And it's actually, no, I do this because I'm actually good at it. Yeah. But then yeah. equally, I think I'm, I'm quite accustomed to needing to prove myself anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. the reality of sort of being in certain spaces, the working twice as hard and mm-hmm. proving people wrong. And, you know, that's just the, been, you know, a, a lot of my reality. So mm-hmm. if now with BLM is now the thing that people want to use as a reason to say, oh, she got that because of that. I'm like, okay, fine. 
well, I'm still going to work twice as hard. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm still going to, you know, do what I have to do. But yeah, I mean, it's all good. The fact is I have the receipts. They're there. They're on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm just thinking back to that point you said about proving yourself and having a chip in your shoulder because I can relate to that. I'm sure so many other people Mm. of color uh, can relate to it in this country and in the states as well yeah and funny enough i was speaking to a friend at the university and she came from barbados and she had a completely different mindset of just how she sort of viewed herself and she sort of said in reflection it's how almost like cold and aggressive black people were in the uk i think that's just based on the way that they've been brought up and i know obviously you were in the states and you came over so i'm pretty sure it's pretty similar mm-hmm. but do you think that's a kind of a different sort of mindset depending on where you're based geographically as a black person i think so you know like i think having lived you know uh, here for 27 years in total um i've definitely recognized how instrumental that childhood that i referenced was in just framing my mindset you know like um you know before there was a black president before there was you know any sense of you know us getting to these levels in society we always could see the potential of it you know you could see and yeah largely a lot of our inspiration was people in the entertainment space um but then we also at least I saw this history of civil rights activists who had come up and and made a change and made a difference. So, you know, there was always this belief that, you know what, just work really hard, Matilda, and hopefully maybe, no guarantees, and there's never been any guarantees. Like a lot of things that have happened for me, doors that have opened, I really just put it down to the grace of God. But yeah, I, I definitely feel like I have had a different mindset and people have commented on it. People have said, Oh, well you think that way. Cause you were born in America. I'm like, maybe. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. But then also I'm Nigerian. So there's a bit of that too, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and we're grafters and, and we work hard. Um, so I think that definitely makes a difference. Just how you're presented as in your identity, like what you see, what you aspire to, you know, whereas now I feel like, young Brits, they have so much inspiration. Like the next gen, ah, oh, they're going to be all right. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just the sheer number of books that are coming out, you know, yeah. people, you know, Candy's Breathway, you know, Slay in Your Lane, Queenie, like it's fascinating. Like there was only a handful of these people doing it, at least, you know, British authors doing it when I first moved here. Um, so yeah, that that definitely I think makes a difference, sort of where you developed your initial sort of perspective of of your identity. Mm, mm. One thing you said there that just really made me think, and you do that in bucket loads. <laughs> was you talked about like presentation and stuff like that, and you know you just used the word slay. I mean, <laughs> I know that you love fashion. I like I'm a I'm a older oh I say older like I'm 42 but I'm a gnarly ultra runner like in the mountains like technical 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 and I see like you I see Dora I see Corey and I'm like man like why can I not get ultra running kit 
that is like colorful and looks good and that I know people stop you when you're out and comment on your style. <laughs> Did you see how fly Dora looked in her person? Oh, oh my God. I was like, girl. I was just like, yeah, I had to comment on that. I was like, I want fire. that. <laughs> I want that. Um, how big a part do you believe that like fashion plays or should how big a part do you think it should play in running and attracting new people to running? Um, and what more do you think that brands can do to reflect our cult, the culture in run apparel, and, but also while kind of keeping it fit for purpose? Mm-hmm. That's important, isn't it, as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I don't know how to answer that from the perspective of running, but I definitely know from the perspective of just attracting other black people because, you know, fashion is very much at the heart of our culture, you know, Mm -hmm. looking fly, having the look, having it together. Like somebody said recently that I I read something, actually, it was about the civil rights movements. Like for all of those marches, you know, people were dressed to the nines. <laughs> like, yeah. like you are not going to have us looking out here crazy. You know, we yeah. need to make sure that we represent ourselves because there's an empowerment there. Um, so for me, you know, the fashion, the style was always going to be integral to Flygo Collective because when you wear something and it's a great fit and it suits you, it gives you that empowerment to believe that you can be that thing. You know, mm-hmm. some people think, don't regard themselves as runners, but it's like, but if you just kind of get this together, let's get you in the hands and a tuck, then it's like, you will, you know, it's like the kind of whole fake it till you make it thing. Yeah. Um, In terms of what brands can do, um, I definitely think, you know, there are brands out there that have found that kind of sweet spot between technicality and the fashion, you know, mm-hmm. and I think we're definitely going to see more of that evolve, hopefully more in the running space. Cause I think I, I spoke to that, um, on the podcast me and Corey did about, uh, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of fashion out there, but it's, it's kind of just generic sort of active. Yeah. Work. And, you know, I think the running space is a real kind of gap for, um, you know, brands to, yeah, make sure that things are technical, but it's not like pink for girls, blue for the That's color. it, yeah. Um, yeah. Things are a little bit more stylish. Um, and then the hope is that if people can see that at the forefront of, you know, running, like w- with what Dora's doing, then people will be like, okay, actually, <laughs> I can, you know, maybe wear like a, a lime <laughs> snake yeah. head-to-toe outfit and actually be on my way to run a trail, you know? But that's it. That's it. And I think that, God, there's so much more, I think there's so much more consultation that can be done. There's so much more that, you know, it's not going to take rocket science in order to apply that fly look to, you know, long distance running gear, ultra running gear. It just takes somebody within that brand. And maybe this is, you know, coming around to the whole problem around, you know, we've got to look at who make, you know, what color people make up the boards, you know, how much influence we have at that level. 
to it because it's not rocket science to think okay how can we make this look fly yet make it work for people that are kind of out there doing these distances sweating etc mm-hmm. etc et so I really hope that it yeah I really hope that we can see that coming through in the next couple of years yeah and, and hopefully you know there'll be new young designers inspired to kind of go in that direction because I think it really comes down to the ethos of the brand like what yeah. do they actually stand for what matters to them and how are they appealing to certain demographics um, with that message and so I think you know you know the the swoosh Addy they were always performance first you know yeah. performance first flyness later and you know they have managed to find you know a nice hybrid of both but you know I think where hopefully things are turning and actually it's like well-being <laughs> and yeah. you know run for joy then that will yeah. be reflected in 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 the fashion yeah yeah watch this space yeah and just thinking about obviously the fly aspect of fashion i was watching the news today and surprisingly in the 99.9 percent obviously bar covid there's a little bit extra about something about fashion which i was quite surprised about <laughs> And uh, they're talking about like this dumbing down of fashion. It's this term I've not, I've, I've literally heard it today. So I'm not quite sure if you've heard it as well. It's called athleisure. Oh yeah. I love that term. <laughs> That's just like jogging pads. I mean, I'm just like... <laughs> but I have been harping on really athleisure for years. And it's funny because now it's like, Ooh, COVID, everyone's at home, athleisure. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like athleisure has been yeah. forever. Um, for me, it was just an excuse to not, like dress up for work so I could just go to work in leggings <laughs> and a sweatshirt yeah. and it's like oh this is athleisure man don't worry yeah. it, it is together <laughs> it is intentional <laughs> I take it from the roads to the office that's it that, that is the mind, like hoodies and like stuff like that I'm just like that's just that's just a sweatsuit (laughs) come on (laughs) don't reinvent the wheel (laughs) athletic leisure like the the plan is you wear that then you can go to the gym or you're in the gym and then you can go to dinner not lockdown (laughs) i know unless you're in your bubble but yeah i know yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) oh my god so we've spoken about brands and you've had experience working with different brands in the past and obviously currently and with the Black Lives Matter, there was a lot of brands trying to get involved. Some seemed a bit confused about what to do, drag their heels a bit. Do you actually think that some of the brands actually really want to make a change in the light of this, the current situation that we find ourselves in? I think depending on the brand, they want to make a change as long as it improves the bottom line. That's just a fact. These are corporations, yeah. right? It's all about yeah. money. And so if there was a situation where a massive brand that sponsors massive black athletes, suddenly those black athletes were like, nah. <laughs> yeah, not doing it. No. <laughs> all of a sudden you'd be like, okay, okay, we need we need to sort this out because, you know, especially in the in the kind of celebrity endorsement space you know a lot of those people are black <laughs> so at the very least it's probably those um you know celebrities say to them excuse me <laughs> you yeah. do realize i'm black and maybe that's why it's like okay actually we better do something about it is it because you know there's a real desire to end 
systematic racism? Maybe, but I just really think it depends on who is in that boardroom, who are in those meetings, because if, if that was always the case, we would have always known that about that brand, <laughs> you know, exactly. just change in the summer of 2020. We would have always known that they were actually about it and, and thinking, you know, equality for all. But if suddenly now it's like, oh, OK, maybe we should change change scope. Um, you know, I think for some brands, it de- there definitely is a, a real desire to do something because they just never recognized it before. They didn't mm. realize that actually, oh, wow, we're being exclusive, but it was never our intention, you know? But I think mm. it depends on the size of the brand and and what their their mission is. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I, I certainly see that in in some of the key brands that I follow and that, you know, uh, were posting black squares earlier this year and, and then kind of come out with mission statements in terms of how they seek to diversify their marketing and you know that starts in the heart it starts at board level it starts at employment it's etc etc and it's just really interesting to see how that journey for them is progressing you know Mm -hmm. and certainly I think one of the aims of black trail runners is to is you know is to call out but call out in a way that it it leads to a conversation and sometimes those conversations are are really uncomfortable but they have to be had Mm -hmm. they really do have to be had um I know that representation is a massive, massive uh, area that you that 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 you talk about. You know, the you can't be what you can't see. Um, we're you know we set up Black Trail Runners in in July because we do not see you know we do not we did not see other Black people out on the trails. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the experience that you have with Fly Girl Collective um, and. You know, what advice would you give us um, in terms of working towards the goal, which is for us simply to increase the amount of black people who want to try trail running? Yeah, I think um, hmm, a couple of things, I think, because I think what you guys are doing is incredible. I think, you know, coalitions, collectives, you know, there is always strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think just building what you're doing and offering touch points so people can run with you guys. And, yeah. you know, um, I think that's really important because if somebody can amplify that message, if there's a, a brand partner or an organization that says, Hey, we want to help you connect with more people in, you know, these communities, then yeah. great. You know, what I find problematic sometimes with these partnerships is they're actually not helping um, at least in my case, Flygo Collective to get any closer to the demographic that they're, that they're targeting, you know, yeah. which is why I'm like, yeah, okay, that's nice. We appeared in X, Y, and Z, but if your readership isn't black women, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. why are we doing this? Um, whereas there may be some people who are like, well, actually, no, we'll sort of invest to, you know, enable you to, to get, um, more reach and, um, more eyes in front of what you're doing. So I just think offering opportunities to say, Hey, try this out. Um, you know, I'd love to do something with y'all, get a bunch of the girls from the collector to say, yo, we're doing trails. Let's try. Let's see what that's like. Cause I'm such a city runner. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe working with, you know, different communities. Cause there's so many of us now, you know, there's emancipated run crew, you know, the black girls do run, UK, um, 
you know, there's wrong with purpose. I mean, even, you know, working with us and we're, we can then amplify the message to our respective groups, you know, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I think the advice is just like, yeah, guys just keep building, um, focus on the target market. And I think it's really easy to lose focus of that. Like I always said, you know, if I wasn't so dedicated to this cause, I could just be another mainstream running crew, like Fly Girl Collective. I mean, Fly could just mean like aim high. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only those that know recognize the kind of um, mm. and the nuance there. Um, but that that's not my heart. So I, I have to be so laser focused on who it is that I'm trying to connect to, even yeah. when it's easy to kind of, you know, go mainstream. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Because there is, you know, when when you launch something like Fly Girl, when you launch something like Black Trail Runners, you know, there there are so many people that kind of almost want a piece of it because they can, you know, you, mm. you, you tick, and one one thing you're ticking boxes. The other thing is like they see how passionate you are about it. They see how much yeah. you're growing. But I think that's a really great piece of advice, Matilda. And it's the conversation that, you know, we've been having that we have to kind of, you know, eyes on the goal in terms of who is it that we are trying to, you know, build the community for yeah you know do this stuff for and ultimately is to engage more black people to want to come trail running so yeah. Yeah. and the other thing I'd add is young people like that's yeah. for me you know a massive goal in 2021 to just think about you know new gen next generation like there's yeah. so many groups that are you know predominantly um black brown and they would love the opportunity, you know, to, yeah. to go to the trails, spend a day, get some fresh air, try something different, try something new, you know. And, and I often have to recognize the fact that, you know, my demographic is sort of middle class black women, yeah. you know, yeah. who yeah. can afford the latest apparel, who can, you know, get themselves a Garmin or a Fitbit who can pay to participate in a virtual run. And that's great. But then there's like this whole generation of people who may not be able to have that access. And I think if we can engage them by the time they're older, they're bringing all their peers through and we've achieved the thing that we've endeavored to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny. I was talking, we had a zoom call with, uh, Tyler at the Outrunners charity about doing some work with some of their, uh, their youth, um, club next year. And that really excited us. Yeah. Yeah, You know, really exciting stuff. So thank you. You know, we're always, we're always open to kind of, you know, advice and, and, and tips on how to, how to continue on the journey and how to kind of make the most of the, you know, the voluntary kind of work that we do in terms of building it. So appreciate that a lot. Yeah. But shout out to you as well. Like, you know, I see Sabrina, you are out here, like you're having conversations where I'm just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, but you're yeah. like, <laughs> but you know, you are speaking loudly and proudly and I very much appreciate it. You know, it's so important that, you know, we're all coming at this from very different angles. You know, I'm mm-hmm. someone who does the odd interview now and again but I don't do that many you know because I'm (laughs) yeah I'm cooling I'm cooling it down a bit over the autumn winter I'm getting sick of the sound of my own voice but hey you know if 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 the medium is right and I and we believe you know as a as as a group of co-founders I'm very I think we're very lucky the seven of us that if we feel the opportunity is an opportunity to speak to the right demographic then uh then yeah, it's- no, no. <laughs> but I meant it in the sense that like, I, I, I'm quite an introverted person, so I don't even like to always sort of speak. Like you'll find that I've done maybe 
a couple of podcasts in the past, but I tend to just be like, you know what, you'll just see it on my Instagram. But I think it's important to have, you know, you have your Malcolm X's, you have your Martin Luther King's, you know, you have your Huey P. Newton's. Everybody's doing their piece, you know, revolution. and, And I love to see it. Absolutely. Thank you. That means a lot. Uh, that really means a lot that you say that. Um, thank you. Marcus, are you still there? <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for you to stop waffling. To read it. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm still here. I was, I was just thinking along the lines of what you just said about um, advice that we can sort of do in terms of working with other groups, which I think is right. Uh, working with the next generation, it's something Sabrina and I and the other group members have spoken about as well. But I'm also mindful, just looking at the space now, that there's a lot of people talking and you could put us in that as well. Um, but it's just trying to find what is the actual sort of meaning behind the the purpose of what the groups are delivering. I mean, what advice would you give us to avoid any sort of pitfalls about confused or mixed messages that, you know, start off really well, then kind of dissipate into the future? Yeah. I mean, I guess it comes down to what is it that you're trying to achieve and what are the goals? And so for me, that's had, I've had to kind of refine it as, as I've gone along. For me, the first thing was representation. I need y'all to see five or six black women running down the street and just be like, whoa, whoa what's happening? Yeah, we're yeah. running <laughs> on purpose. Um, and then o- over time, it was like, okay, actually, we're out here. People can see it. That, that's an image that's slowly but surely becoming, you know, familiar to people. Now it's, okay, what's the mental health space? But always having a goal, you know, that you're sort of working to and having those checkpoints to achieve that. Because, you know, at some point when I was doing the brand stuff, I was like, is this part of the goal? Like, is this this? Does this achieve this or is this just, oh, something that's coming at the side? Because that stuff can kind of derail you if you're not careful, because then it turns into another thing. It's like, oh, now this is. Like when people have said, oh yeah, you know, Fargo, that's a great business. I'm like, this is not my business. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> that I invest a lot of time in. Like it genuinely is, it's not even a CIC, like it's an initiative. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think, it, and the beauty of that actually, the fact that it does, I don't have to depend on, on it for my income means that I can keep it focused and keep it, you know, dare I say pure. Um, so yeah, I guess the advice is just make sure that the main thing is the main thing and you know what it looks like to achieve your goal. How will you know you're successful? Is it because five people are now coming to your run? Is it because, um, now actually you're working with, you know, a certain organization that's helping to facilitate that. What does that look like? Otherwise, if it's just, okay, we're doing a thing and sometimes we meet up and sometimes we don't, I think that's when it starts to fizzle because it's like, well, what was the purpose of this? You know, and how we kept the purpose at the forefront of what we're doing. So even if I don't do, say, another virtual race, which won't be the case, I will do more, I still know what that core goal is, you know? So it doesn't matter if it's splashy or if it's modest, the goal is still the goal. And that's the thing, getting Black women running, getting them moving. Representation was a starting point that definitely got people attention but now it's like okay I need you to turn up I need you to show up <laughs> you know yes yes yeah just understanding like what you stand for what you believe in and just not getting pulled apart by you know other people's opinions or different influences just keeping 
to that why it's almost like running really just understanding what your why your is why. Yeah. Keep your why yeah keep your why close by yeah <laughs> and even just having like you know dropping lyrical bombs there <laughs> <laughs> i was saying even just having a mission statement you know all that stuff helps you know yeah. it clarifies yeah. things good stuff thank you for sharing that and we're going to move on to the final questions before we wrap up and one thing that I want to speak about is in terms of racism. Now, when we speak about it, some people sort of think like the old school view of like being racially abused in a overt way. But I think a lot of racism today is very subtle mm. and you can always miss it. And if you try and explain to someone, they're like, did that really happen? Mm -hmm. Can you ex can you share an experience recently that you was racist to you that, you, that sort of the viewers can kind of get an idea like what you're sort of going through? That's a hard one because I feel like there was a time where I would almost count all the occasions where people or where I felt people might have been racist. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I guess I don't really think about it that much because yeah. it can send you down a path of, was it, was it not? And yeah. even if it was, it's like, well, yeah. We're in a system, systemic racist society, so racism is going to happen. So, I mean, I can't think of any anything recent. I mean, I've literally been at home. Like, <laughs> I haven't been anywhere to experience stuff. Because um, often, like I'll give an example. So, like when I was obviously a kid, there's also the you know the name calling, mm -hmm. and then as in my early twenties, it was kind of like. Or you like comments about the hair or things like that that were just kind of on PC or to people doing black impressions that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then later now it's kind of more subtle kind of like oh you, like if I go running in say out of London and you're in a country road like I've had someone going oh are you lost yeah no no I, and I get that no no I totally understand that I feel like you know I live in East London I live in Hackney um, I don't have any sort of encounters or uncomfortable encounters that I feel are to do with my race. Um, but I would say, and again, it's really difficult to prove that I think sometimes just the perception of me, like I think people think, oh, Matilda, she's just like this young woman who, you know, is, is doing Flygirl Collective. And, you know, the way they may come to me, it's like, have you Googled me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, in this kind of way. And I don't know if that's just stereotyping or just presuming that, you know, I'm just sort of young or immature. Yeah. It's just like, mm, but if I was a white dude, would you come to me that way? Like, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm trying to just think of, of a solid example where that's happened um, recently. I can't think of anything recent. But I kind of feel like um, just even maybe kind of dealing with brands in the past and, you know, kind of saying, yeah, this is my fee. And it's just That's like, it. <laughs> yes. cheaper version? Like, what is that? <laughs> what did you get? So, yeah. I, I mean, I know that I know that in the, the um, interview that we that Phil Young did with Charlie for and um I know Charlie talks about it a, a lot, but, you know, the brands or, or the, the companies that will come and say, oh, you know, we'd really like you to be on this panel. Or we'd really like you to do this for us or work with us. And like, as soon as you ask 
well, what's your budget? Suddenly it goes really quiet, mm. you know. And if they had only done the research into you as Matilda, they would know, they would see all this experience and why would you even approach? Yeah, you know? it's, it's actually, it's, it's wild. Um, but no, I can't say I have had any negative experiences. But what I would say is that I was very much reminded of my blackness during, you know, the great white awakening of summer 2020 where so many people (laughs) were like coming at me left, right and center with guilt or requests or a lot. And I just thought, yeah, you're not, you're not really getting us, (laughs) you know? And again, whether or not that was racist or ignorant, you know, is is to be proven right. And and I guess that's the problem with um, covert racism, that it's very hard to put our finger on it. But what we do know is that if more so now that we, we, we can see it for what it is. And I feel like, where as much as we can, we can either keep it moving or we can challenge it in a way that makes people really look at themselves and think about, well, why did I think that? You know, even yeah. it's as simple as like, well, why did you ask that? <laughs> you know, yeah. as a, and helping people maybe check their own bias. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I think that's the thing though. A lot of it now is so subtle and can fly under the radar. You can miss it. Mm. It's like trying to cut trying to catch like dust or something yeah like a chopstick <laughs> yeah which is why it's so hard to yeah which is why it's so hard to to define it um and i think i've said this before that you know you live in like a city like london inner city london you're sort of shielded from a lot of that stuff um and it's only when and i that's kind the m25 <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's only when i leave when i'm in different spaces and you see sort of the conversations and you're just like oh wow okay <sighs> and, and it's and the thing is it's it's a real education it's almost like meeting y'all gotta watch everything y'all gotta watch everything from the roots to spike lee to the color yeah. people and then maybe just maybe <laughs> you'll start to notice the patterns and all these things that even we came to learn about racism because we learned about it through these various meetings. We had our own experiences, but then we were also learning about the experiences of like Maya Angelou, as you mentioned earlier, and, you know, all these people. So we've gone through our own education too. You know, we Mm -hmm. didn't kind of wake up overnight as racism experts and I'm still not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely not an expert on racism. I haven't studied, you know, it at all. You know, I just know my own experience and what I've learned just navigating life. Yeah. I think that's that's a true thing. Because people ask you all the time, like, what do you think about this? It's like, well, I'm not the representative for all IPOC people. I I can only speak from my experience, like you just said. I can only speak from my experience and I'm still figuring it out, (laughs) you know, know, trying to work out what does that mean? Which is why, you know, that whole, you know, who was I before me? Like there was a time where I didn't know I was black, (laughs) you know, I was just Matilda, (laughs) you know, it's only when then people defined me according to how society defines it. I'm like, okay, I'm black. So that means X, Y, and Z. Yeah. That yeah. means, okay, I, I must listen to hip hop. I must do this. I must do that. You know, you kind of then define this idea before you then just create yourself and, and whoever that is, you know, yeah. that happens to be a black woman. Mm. Whew, gosh, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is just... <laughs> 
What? <laughs> I, I know from following you on social media, I know that you're a very uh, spiritual woman. Yeah. Um, so I kind of think I know the answer to this question, but I never like to presume. So one of my final questions for you is, what is your one like non-negotiable behavior, habit or superstition that you do every damn day? <laughs> pray. Yes. <laughs> I got to pray just to make it today. MC Hammer said it. I'll there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. It's facts. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's non-negotiable. Mm, it grounds me, you know, and I believe that, you know, there's a bigger picture Mm-hmm. Play at any given moment and so just needing to connect with God and yeah just navigate life knowing that I have a purpose and even though I don't know the full picture of it it just means that regardless of what's happening around me I can still have my joy I can still have my peace I can still just be like racism what racism mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. there but it, you know it's, it's not affecting me at this given moment because my mindset is just so focused mm. I think that's such a great point, though, because having faith now, it's not about having faith in the good times, it's about having faith in the really challenging times. I think this is like a real prime, prime. moment to test that right now. Yeah. How are you sort of finding that? I mean, that's such a such a great point because, you know, um, you know, I have like a lot of Christian friends. I have my church and, you know, we kind of remind ourselves that everything that we believed in has literally built us for this moment. <laughs> It wasn't like when everything was just like Chris and we were like, hey, we're all the blessings. No, it's like, yo, how do you manage now? This is where you genuinely have to be like, do you actually believe in God? Do you believe you're going to get through this? You know, how do you feel in this moment? So for me, it's been like a really great challenge because I feel like it's kind of helped me refine my faith and it's helped me really understand, you know, what do, what matters to me? What do I care about in this moment? And you know, for me, just day by day, taking each day as it comes has been nice, you know, because when like things are great, you're sort of trying to plan so many steps in advance, but you then come to recognize, yeah, and then a pandemic hits and you're like, oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. am I in control of? Not a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so true, isn't it? You know, we're we're taught, and, and I think also in running and in, in, in training and, you know, control the controllables, you know, control the controllables. But actually, I think one of the things that so many people have found, you know, I've really had to try and get myself more spiritually balanced over mm-hmm. the last year because that that big realization that we are not in control At all. you know we are not in no matter how much we want to sugarcoat it and think i know that that's happening this is happening i've got at the click of a button Literally. it can just fall down and then you're really left with yourself yeah. and that faith that's and you know, it's, uh, it's, I don't, I don't pray every day, but I certainly take time to find that inner voice. You could call it God, you could call it the universe, whatever it is to try and hear it every day because God, I, you know, I need it. And I know many people need it at this, you know, oh. this, this point in life. So absolutely. Otherwise you will literally go mad, right? Like oh, God, yeah. you'll watch the news and you'll just be like, there's no hope. And it's like, no, no (laughs) there is, you know, and you've got a secret, you know, you know, for me, it's definitely Jesus. And it's been a, it's helped me just also just become more grateful. Just, Mm. you know, just have a lot more gratitude, just, 
you know, appreciate the the smaller moments. You know, I was meant to go to Jamaica this year. You know, yeah. flight was booked. Everything was booked. We oh. were ready. I'm like, what? I was so ready. Beach, jerk chicken, everything. I was ready. <laughs> and I was just like, what? And the thing is, we took such a while before we canceled it because, oh, yeah. you know, we, we had booked it in literally January, January, February. You know, mm. We booked it really early. And then once lockdown hit, we were like, oh, okay. Well, you know, by September. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then, you know, we're in October. I'm like, yeah, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I'm going to be in my house. I'm going to listen to some Thundercat. I'm going to order some Deliveroo and just go thanks. <laughs> oh, yeah. So many, you know, you've kind of touched the button of so many of us, like, like had those holiday books. We're like, nah, it'd be fine. It'd be fine. It'd be fine by then. And then suddenly that realization that this ain't going to be fine anytime no, soon. At all. Like everyone yeah. just relax, buckle up. Chill, breathe. <laughs> you know, stay home. Stay home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. So I'm gonna move to the final question because I know you've got that delivery right there. I want to take too much of your time. In my running, it's always been the the unexpected lessons have sort of come from the things I least expected, but they've taught me the most. It's not been the highlights. So for you, what has been the best unexpected lesson that running has taught you? Ooh, what has been the best unexpected lesson? That it doesn't get easier. <laughs> just get stronger. Yes. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I just thought one day I'd be like, oh, I can now run X, Y, and Z. It's like, yeah, you can run it and you'll still feel it, but you're yeah. now able to run it faster or you're now able to run it and there's less DOM. So I think that's been a really good lesson for life because I think sometimes we feel like we reach these certain pinnacles and then it's just cruise. And it's like, no, no, you reach those pinnacles with a new set of muscles, you know, with a new mindset, but now you're equipped to tackle whatever comes your way. Love that answer. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, you do, you think, oh, one day, one day it'll just feel so easy. I'll be able to run so fast. It'll be so easy. And you're like, oh, why does it still hurt so much? (laughs) (laughs) You turn to, you know, you tend to appreciate the pain in a different way. Like I remember I used to go to this gym class and the guy was like, you see that, what you're feeling? That's power. And you're like, really? Power? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we all, our mindset changed, though. We all approach it in a very different way. It's like, oh, that's just yeah. power that's flowing through me. I yeah. might feel it tomorrow, though, but yeah. <laughs> it's power. What did, you, did you have, like, Sean T for your... <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, Sean T is a... I am a big fan of Sean T. <laughs> 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 I love Sean T. I love him. He was definitely one of the first people that helps me understand like ways of approaching fitness and yeah Shanti is a G. <laughs> he is, he is. <laughs> oh Matilda thank you so so much I just I, we cannot keep you from that delivery route for too much longer <laughs> um, but what we want is that we want anyone listening to this that doesn't already follow you to to be able to follow your journey online where are the where's the best places to get you yeah so um definitely start with fly girl collective on insta the googles the twitters we're all over that um and then on instagram it's my full name Matilda Igeri. Cooper. Um, but yeah, just I'm out here, you know, and please 
feel free to send me a DM. I do actually respond to the decent DMs, not the, <laughs> hey, can you do this for us for free? No, don't, don't message me. Yeah, don't send me. <laughs> can we pay you with like likes? <laughs> like, no, no, pay me with cash. Yeah, pay me with cash. <laughs> I didn't realize British yeah. Gas took likes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Matilda, thank you for coming on the, the podcast and thanks for being a guest on the checkpoint. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great. Wow, I really enjoyed that conversation with Matilda. I mean, what's your thoughts? Oh, so many, like, so many thoughts about that conversation. You know, oh God, what really got me was when she was talking about kind of Matilda before she was Matilda, yeah. you know, growing up in the States and and kind of not really being aware of any, you know, being othered as it were, because she was just her. And yeah, I mean, obviously our lifestyles, you know, and our lived experiences as as kids was very, very different, but man, it was, it gave me a lot of food for thought, you know, it gave me a lot of food for thought in terms of remembering who I was before who, before society, life, experiences both positive and negative kind of contributed to kind of who I am this day powerful stuff really powerful what about you yeah I mean I really love that question it's something I think I'm going to ponder on for a little while I mean who was I before I became me and it's such a an amazingly deep but simple question yeah you know and I think you know especially with lockdown and what's happening this year it's given us time to sit back and really consider things and I think for me it's something that I want to spend time thinking about as well yeah yeah I mean I'm reading I'm I'm doing a um it really made me think because I'm doing a uh online I'm chairing a, a book festival discussion with a guy called Adam Rutherford who wrote the book how to argue with a racist and you know and and he, he talks about, you know, he talks about kind of that as, you know, who, who we are before, you know, we have all of these systemic and generation, you know, before we become aware of all that stuff. And, um, and yeah, it really resonated with me with some of the things that I've read in his book as well. But I just like Matilda's, I like, you know, you can tell that she's, you know, she's worked so many years with words and, the ability and the kind of almost poetic way that she expresses her thoughts and feelings around these things. I, I kind of found myself just sitting and kind of almost going into like a, a transcendational, like meditational state, just listening to her talking about these things. Um, yeah, I got a lot from it. And, and, you know, what she said about her faith as well, that non-negotiable, you know, every day praying, yeah. You know, I think whether you're a, a, a religious person or whether, you know, it's more spiritual or whatever it may be, I think that finding that space, you know, as, as I talked about, you know, I try and find that space just to find that silence for five minutes a day, just to try and hear that inner voice or try and, you know, try and hear those messages from inside. I think that, you know, sometimes I I, I see what Matilda posts and I think, wow, like, to have that, you know, to have her her religion as such a key focal point, you know, in her life and her community around there, I think was, yeah, was was really important for, for me to hear that. Um, 
in terms of, yeah. you know, what I use and, and what people listening to this, you know, what do you use in order to find some kind of sense of faith or or relief in a world which can sometimes seem so very, very out of control? Yeah, something that I took from the talk about faith, regardless if you have faith or not, and it's not my place to judge or not, but, you know, she was saying, you know, it's okay to have faith when everything is going well and you're praising but when things aren't going so well, like now, this is the real test. This is yeah. where you actually have to up your faith and up your beliefs. Yeah, yeah. And for Absolutely. me, it's been, you know, a great example of that and just, you know, going through what you need to do. And especially with my running, you know, when I talked about, you know, the sub which we've spoken about in the last episode and, it, yeah, there's no races, there's no evidence of things happening, but you still have to keep training as if, you know, it's yeah. going to happen. And, you yeah. know, you can't just can't sort of fall off especially when you're so close so yeah I can really resonate with that and you know whether that's religion life whatever there's so many lessons in that just being not being like overtly positive and just being like oh like (laughs) sort of clicking your heels and you know (laughs) thinking about rainbows but you know you've got to be mindful that you know just still have to maintain a good attitude even when things aren't going so well yeah. And, and trust, you know, we talk about trusting the process, don't we? That, you know, day in, day out, whatever yeah. we choose to do with our with our days, whether that's training, whether it's walking, whether it's whatever it is, it's that consistency that leads to the result. And that result, you know, from a, a trail running or a, a race or road running perspective might be a goal race, or it might be just to feel stronger or faster with your own personal challenge. From a spiritual point of view, you know, coming out of a lockdown, it just might be to come out, uh, you know, with a sense of, um, just with a sense of hope that actually you've done the best you can to keep yourself mentally um, and you know, mentally and spiritually, or whatever you call it, online and connected day to day, so that you come out of this and into twenty twenty one, not feeling totally beaten, battered, and bruised. Yeah, I think ultimately you got to look at like what system you have in place in terms of how you. We talk about, for example, like like motivation or things like that, or faith, but these are things almost seem almost out over and above us but what you're doing in terms of your day-to-day that's what i mean in terms of systems to sort of make sure that you are focused on what you need to focus on Mm. because even if the things that we don't want you know we put energy into them that's what we get yeah you know i'm a total believer in the whole kind of you know my my thing is that you know you put out you know you put it out there and you it comes back triple fold you know so therefore of course of course as we've discussed earlier when we're talking about depression, you know, there are days and weeks, et cetera, where I don't feel that. But ultimately, there's always that inside me that I try and see some form of light or some form of positive because I do believe that you knew, we put out there, we get it back. That's my belief. And I've seen it at work in my own life. Yeah. It's different for everybody. But um, that's the, the, the power of consistent positive action you know, whatever that may be across the board, I think is part and parcel of what I and others I know use in order to continue to feel connected. Can it continue to feel that although we're going through this really weird phase that we have really no control over, if I continue to do these little actions every day, I know I'm going to come out of that feeling better. I'm going to come out of this phase feeling better. I know this is probably going a bit deep, but I even look at the book of like Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, and he was a Holocaust survivor, and he talked about the reasons that got him through 
uh, what he had to get through and finding purpose in certain things. And I won't go into the book, but I mean, that's a great read for anyone that wants to kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> struggling now to, to sort of get an insight into how to focus on what you can control in a very difficult, very, very, very difficult circumstances that you know you're not fully in control of. Yeah. But, you know, I think we, we sort of covered that. And I think the last thing I really want to touch on that I think was a great point from Matilda was just the importance of the group and what she's done in terms of building that community. Yeah. Making sure that no one's left behind. Oh, woman after my own heart. Yeah. I mean, who has, you know, we all have this kind of almost, um, you know, we're being told at the moment, you know, isolate, you know, stay at home, protect the NHS if you're in the UK, save lives. And and therefore, a lot of us feel at the moment, you know, that community that we once again kind of became part of after lockdown one has been ripped away from us. Um, and, you know, what I would say and certainly what I'm doing is that, you know, I am going to I am using the, um, you know, the, you know, go outside and exercise, you know, and you can exercise with one other person from your household as long as you kind of maintain that social distance. You know, this is UK. I know that we've got listeners from around the world, but, you know, it's. A, from a group perspective, it's so important that if you're part of a group that everyone feels included and everyone feels as though that there is a reason for them being there. Um, but also from a, you know, connection with other people, you know, we can still have that connection. We, it's just at the moment it's restricted or we can find that connection online or we can find that connection through virtual races or whatever it might be. Um, but I love that ethos, you know, of no person left behind that she talked about that fly girl collective is for all, not just the few, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm totally behind that ethos as well. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So I think, um, I'm going to wrap this bit up anyway. So, um, it's a great conversation, Matilda. We hope that you've enjoyed the conversation. Any feedback that you've got, you know, please let us know, even on our Facebook group, or either on our Instagram post as well. You know, we'd, we'd appreciate your your comments and your feedback. So thank you for listening. Thanks so much. So for A to Z of trail running, we're on to the letter D. We are. So the first one we're going to start with is depression. Oh gosh, depression. You're going you're going in deep. You're going in in, in yeah, you're going in there early, Marcus. Um you know, honest question then. Do you have you um I, I already know the answer to this. Um have you ever had um lived with depression? Yes. But I think just the way that I look at it is completely different now. I think you hear sometimes people saying, I have depression, I suffer depression. The way I look at it, it was it was a period of my life where I was struggling to kind of make sense of things, and it took mm. a lot of work to find out who I was, where I'd come from, where my parents had come from, my grandparents had come from, to understand what you know what was mine to carry. And I think as a black person, you tend to see that a lot of generational trauma gets passed down the generations. So I got to the point. Yeah recently where i could sort of think actually no i'm actually a really good person intrinsically i've got a lot to offer you know i'm a a father my Mm. husband that kind of thing and you know there's lots of good things about me so i got to that sort of stage and i was like (laughs) it's almost like i wouldn't say depression went but it's like i i feel in the in the sense of like that you're gonna have good days and you're gonna have bad days but i know that it doesn't define me if that makes sense so i stop something i I hold on to like i suffer from depression because that that's almost like a place that you can't get out of it's not me saying yes. that you don't have bad days, 
but I know that they come and go like good days. Yeah, yeah. I I hear you on that. And what I really heard was about the like um the trauma of 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 being a black person, uh being, you know, mixed race. And I think that the therapy, you know, I, I live with depression. So I I I don't suffer I don't again, I don't like using the word suffer. Yeah. Um, but I um have periods, um, sometimes quite prolonged periods of of depressive uh depressive episodes and yeah. I have done for many many years it, it started it, it was very apparent um to me growing up that I I would have a sense from for what seemed like months of um something's going to go wrong something's going to go really badly wrong and so therefore I found it quite difficult to live life with joy because I always felt that if I had any periods of like happiness, I can remember this as a kid, that I would be punished with periods of darkness. Does that, that and that sounds really, I've had a lot of therapy yeah. and I really believe in the power of therapy, but um, I think I, I understand my mental, my mental health so much better today in terms of being able to identify when, with triggers that I see in myself and how I respond to my own well-being and that of others when I know an episode may be coming. Um, you know, I'm not afraid and to be honest and say, you know, I do use as one of my tools in my toolkit medication um, in order to help with my help to manage my anxiety and depression. And, um, you know, I guess learning to manage it has been absolutely critical in my my running journey, you know, because running and, and trail running especially is is absolutely one of the key things that I do for myself in order to on those days or within those episodes to help to for me to see the light, you know, to help just to see something beautiful on a day that I'm or a week where I'm not feeling great is yeah is just a little bit of hope and a little bit of promise. And, you know, now we are in lockdown two and, you know, we hope that it's going to last a month, but we know our experience in the UK is that sometimes these things can last a bit longer. I think it's really important for us to be able to feel that we can reach out and we can speak openly about how we are feeling. Because one of the things that my depression and my anxiety wants is for me to isolate. It wants for me to be alone. It wants for me to feel feelings on my own. And it tells me if you are open and honest about this, people will think you're crazy or they won't like you or, you know, even little things such as, you know, you'll lose, you'll lose friends or you'll lose followers or, you know, and, and, but my actual experience from the evidence of that, that is, that that is not the case that actually when you open up about it, you get, you can get so many comments and messages saying thank you because I feel the same yeah and I think it's great to have that connection with other people and listening to what you said and and obviously I, I bear in mind the conversations that we've had offline and even in my podcast as well hearing your experiences growing up and hearing my experiences I think a, a big important part that we probably need to add in as well so for me growing up as a yeah. young kid it's a, you sat, get sat down and get told that you're not seen, you're not good enough in comparison to your white counterparts. So that really gives you a chip in your shoulder. 
So you know, mm. when you look at people, it's like if you feel like one, you're not enough, you're not being seen, you're not loved, or you don't learn to love yourself, then those things can have a massive impact for your adult life. So we sort of say about like with uh, people and how they interpret things, it's like so it's, it's almost like you're in the you're in the present, but then you're going back into the past, and it's just like been able to sort of stop and be like, look, that is in the past that's kind of different but it's, yeah. it's, it's not easy because we're human you know we always go between these these places of the, the present the past and the future that's it you're so right and actually it really makes me think about a conversation I was having with a friend the other day and and we were talking about how you know I'm you know I'm 42 she's in her 40s and we were talking about adulting and we and, and we were really honest with each other and I said to her sometimes do you feel that you're too that you're still a kid in this adult's body and you're having to make all of these really adult decisions but actually you just want somebody to tell you what to do yeah. and sometimes when i'm feeling you know when i'm feeling low of mood or when i'm with my black dog as i call it i just want and need someone to tell me to remind me this is the reason that you feel this way. And it, it isn't because you're a bad person today. It comes from a place of growing up, you know, rural racism, you know, not feeling good enough, not being told, being told you weren't good enough and the associated mental negatives that kind of come from that. And I think that, I think it's, it is really important to remember that as, you know, as, as, as black people that there's so much that we deal with today in terms of our mental health that comes from just the lived experience of being seen as other you know yeah and you can get into this sort of cycle thinking it's 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 you it's something wrong with you but it's sometimes hard to sort of see when you step out of it that it's been something that's been learned from people before you and it's just been a generational thing so and it's something like michelle said as well in a couple of episodes back when she said you know when you speak back to these things you say is it true and that's why i say to myself now it's not always easy so you i get the thought you know that sort of irrational thought and you're like and you're sitting with it and then you're like entertaining it but then you go back to it and go is it true and then you can kind of stop it and then go forward but it's not always easy because sometimes you get stuck in you get triggered and then you're stuck in that space and it's hard to get out of it because that's all you can see yeah yeah, yeah. And that's when I always ask myself, like, one of the reasons, one of the, the, the ways to kind of, again, one of the tools in the toolbox is, is, you know, often when I'm feeling, often when I'm feeling depressed, or I'm in an episode of depression, and I feel fear, I feel fear about sometimes even going out and doing a run, because I think, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not talented I'm not I'm too fat, or I'm, I'm, you're just going to be super slow today. And then, I asked myself, well, where's the evidence of that? You know, where's the evidence, even in the last week, that those things are true? And I can't find it. So then I remember that acronym, false evidence appearing real, false evidence appearing real, you know, and and I'll go out and do it and I'll feel so much better from doing it. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, if there is anyone out there, you know, it's it's a, it's a weird old time that we're in, as we've alluded to earlier in this podcast. Then you know, reach out, you know, talk, ask for help because you know it doesn't signify weakness; it signifies strength. Yeah, it's completely opposite to what we were probably taught growing up. But like you said, 
speaking about it, not obviously not with everyone, not with the world and its wife, but you know, with a few close mm. friends or whatever, or someone, or if not all through like Samaritans or something like that. If there's no one that you can speak to, I think yes. there's only charities that can help, and uh, there are especially difficult times. So, yeah, speak up. I mean, we're, we're both not experts ourselves. We're only sort of talking from our own experiences. Mm-hmm even though I, I do appreciate my view is my view i appreciate it's not the same for everyone and not everyone will see it that way so and that's not to diminish anyone's experience your experience is your experience absolutely you know we we only within this podcast you know anything we talked about talk about you know we do what we do it's from lived experience it's we're sharing our journeys and the journeys of other people that talk to us with you um but ultimately we are all individual we what makes us beautiful is that we're unique um we are you know our lives are 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 very different but um but there the beauty in it is that there are similarities so um so yeah that's i think that's kind of ties that not ties it up because we could talk yeah. just have a whole podcast about mental health and depression but yeah. let's move on dehydration so, Marcus, have you have you ever suffered with um, effect, any kind of effects of dehydration, or what's your view on dehydration from your experience? When I was running uh, half marathon sub in Peru, you know, hydration was key. So we'd make sure that you know you'd have your salt tabs and you know you'd have your carb drinks as well. And fueling and just staying hydrated is really important, but. When I move into running races in terms of like marathons and things like that off the trails, then I think it's a little bit more, a little bit more open. So, for example, when I did my last marathon, for example, it, the weather was cold. So, I mean, I didn't really drink as much. And I sort of would, if I needed to, I'd drink to thirst and I didn't really need to sort of top up as much. But it's different for running an ultra race. I mean, I didn't need to make sure I needed to have my, um, my, my salt tabs or, you know, electrolytes and things yeah. like that. Make it for me. Yeah. It's just making sure that I I was a uh, I fueled, but fueling was more so the carbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I think in my experience, i I have had um I have had awful experiences of dehydration. I think that the most recent one, or or of, of not necessarily dehydration, but overhydrating with with um, fluid that included uh elements that just didn't agree with me so for example when I did the Cotswold Way 100 I um had done a lot of training with um with water that included um electrolyte tablets in it didn't really have any issues um but then when it came to actually doing the the ultra in one go I um was drinking, you know, every 20 minutes I was reminding myself to take a drink or my paces were reminding me to take a drink. And what happened is that I started to feel quite nauseous and I couldn't really understand why. And that nausea lasted, I mean, it was horrendous. It lasted for about 50 miles. And it was only probably around about 25 miles in that my husband actually said when he had looked at the tabs that I was putting into my water, Sabrina, these have got caffeine in them. And when he looked it up, you know, caffeine can cause that feeling of too much of it anyway, can cause that kind of feeling of nausea and sickness. So I stopped taking those electrolyte tabs and just started drinking water and was getting salt from kind of other fuel that I was taking, like real food. 
And eventually the nausea did subside, but I guess because I'm a trail ultra runner, I'm quite, I can be quite obsessive about replacement of sweat, you know, replacement of those electrolytes that are lost during the process of sweating. And I've done various kind of tests, et cetera, to see how much of a sweater I am. Um, and that can be as basic as there are various companies out there that kind of offer kind of sweat tests, etc. But one of the ones that I did in the early days was I would weigh myself before I went out on a run. Um, yeah. I would then weigh myself when I got back and um, cross-reference that to any water that I'd taken on. And so therefore I was able to, in a generic level, see how much water I had lost, how much I had sweated out within that run to give me an idea of how, what kind of a sweater kind of I was so that therefore I could estimate based upon the guidance that they gave me how much salt that might be that I lost and therefore what how I needed to replace. Now, you can kind of do something like that or that's what I did or you can actually go and kind of get your bloods taken, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think for me in the stuff that I do, I think that it's really important for me to know um, that I'm getting the right amount and the right consistency of fluid in simply because being out there on the trails at the kind of races that I do, I can't really afford to get myself into really dark situations through not being aware of what fluid I'm taking in and conversely, what other fuel that I'm taking in as well. Um, so as we've said before, you know, this is our lived experience. You know, we would definitely recommend that if you have suffered with any effects of dehydration, that might be, you know, everything from feeling thirsty through to feeling dizzy, feeling tired, um, you know, not maybe going, you know, peeing when you're outside or when you're out doing work, then it's certainly worth having a think about whether you're getting enough of the right stuff into you. Um, and there are various websites out there that can kind of, you know, that you can read that can, kind of can give you advice. And also there are companies out there that obviously sell products that they say can help you, but also have got quite good blog sections in terms of um, kind of frequently asked questions around dehydration and the effects of dehydration. Yeah, I think that's really great. And uh, thanks for sharing your experience and some of the things I took from that. And I think, you know, a great lessons is, you know, especially with nutrition or uh, Oh, hydration in, in this point is being proactive not waiting to it's mm. too late because once yeah, you start right. feeling you're on the way and then it's too late it's, uh, so it's too late it's you know it is yeah you're absolutely right like I've been there you know and I can only talk uh, and I'm sure other people listening to this that have that know that they have been dehydrated and, and trying to claw yourself out of a dark hole when you're out on a training run or you're out racing or, you know, even in like, you know, because you can be dehydrated and just be going about your normal life, you know, but it is those feelings like when you're in it, it is so hard to rehydrate, to refuel, to get yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I always, I always try and be, as you say, proactive about, you know, setting myself little timers just to remind myself, are you, you know, should you have something to eat? Should you have something to drink? so that I'm on top of it as much as I can be. Yeah, when I did uh, my race, I mean, my friend who was more experienced as a trail runner, we, we had like little signals every 
checkpoint or every 30 minutes or whatever to remind ourselves to drink and take on board fuel and things like that and that's sometimes what you need it sounds a bit basic but it's so it's required and it also goes back to making sure that you train what you need in your training runs as well so it's not a surprise and you know that your body can handle it but also I know we've spoken about this offline I know you know more about than I do there's also the issue of drinking too much water so you need to be mindful of that yeah hypotremia yeah, I mean, how many people, you know, especially if you're roadrunners out there, I know I've been in various marathons um, where I have seen at checkpoints or even at the finish line, just people throwing up just loads and loads of water. Yeah. Um, now, there are obviously different reasons for people doing that, but a key, a big, a big part of that is that people have overhydrated. And that can, you know, that can be really, really, really serious. So conversely, hence the reason it's it's quite a good idea to be aware of during training when you're getting those training runs in how much your body needs in order for you to train and race at optimum level so that you don't swing over to that other side of you know running along and that inside swishing around with far too much inside that ultimately you're going to get need to get rid of whether it's out one side or the other yeah like you said it's one of those things that is important but you've got to get the balance right otherwise it, you know yeah. it can go wrong one way or the other so yeah you know we're all different what works for your mate might not work for you and that is what going out there and practicing or training and being mindful that you're not just going out there practicing to run you're going out there practicing what your body needs to ingest is so so important and the good thing about it is it gives you that little bit of confidence because you know we all go on a race day and have those nerves about what's going to happen but when you look back at your training you think of even in practicing the kit that you're going to use for the weekends before the nutrition or the water and the, you know, the, the hydration, those things give you a lot of confidence. So yeah, practice, practice, practice. You can never get enough of that really. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Never get enough. You're absolutely right. So let's move on to the final D, which is dynamic stretching. Ooh, who does dynamic stretching? Who does mobility and, and and dynamic stretching before they go out on their sessions marcus it's such an important thing and you know as a beginner runner i mean i made lots of mistakes in terms of stretching and sometimes when you're out running you see people that are new to running and they're you know doing static stretches and part of you wants to go up and say something but then one you're aware of social distancing <laughs> and secondly you don't want to be yeah. that person that goes yeah. do you know you're doing this wrong you just don't know how it's going to come across <laughs> let me just bend over in front of you and show you how to do some dynamics yeah you don't none of us want to be that person yeah so, um, no, but it's so important for one for just getting you it's like a car really it's like you don't take a fast car you know and you just just go to naught to 60 straight out the gate you know you've got to warm up to it so i think the same with your body really got to warm you fire up the glutes you know you've just got to get things moving in the right direction before you you know you push your body into where it needs to go absolutely i mean it's 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 been dynamic stretching um mobility um has been absolutely part of my routine for quite a few years and and you've summed it up perfectly you know we are you know we are machines I think of you know I think of myself and the people I coach as cars and I always say you know the warm-up you know whether it's five ten minutes that easy warm-up just kind of telling your body right we're getting ready to do something is so important you know so my sessions are always you know warm-up mobility main session cool down 
flexibility. And, you know, we're, we're running. So therefore, doesn't it make sense to mobilize those joints and those, those muscles and get that synovial fluid moving around the body in a way that is dynamic? Because ultimately we're moving forward when we're running. So therefore, our body needs to be primed in order to help us to do that optimally. And there is so much information out there about dynamic stretching. We're not talking about spending half an hour before you actually start your run session. You know, something as simple as side lunges or leg swings or, um, you know, moving deadlifts, single leg deadlifts, um, you know, lateral swings, etc. There is and it's fun, you know, you can, you know, it's not boring, you know, you are priming your body, you are greasing that engine ready for it going around that racetrack. See, I'm just using this car analogy now. Um, but, but it's, you know, it's, I think it's imperative. And I certainly believe that it has helped me remain relatively injury free in terms of looking at my training that way as warm up, mobility, main session, cool down flexibility i think all the stuff that you said about dynamic stretching is really helpful and useful i mean i have the same sort of thing before my sessions and i use before my races as well and you know you don't really need to do too much like you said i've got like some side lunges some forward lunges some, but you know always sort of moving yes. uh you know things open the hips and just get the glutes fi- firing so you know for me it works and I, also I think, I think it's almost like a confidence thing as well I don't know. It makes you feel like you're you're getting ready to to run. Yeah, yeah. And people say to me, especially people that are new to trail running or new to running that I coach, they'll say, "Oh, you know, I only thought fast people did that kind of." You know, they'll they'll think of when you say about like doing, you know, high knees or butt kicks or um, or lunges or whatever. They'll say, "Oh, well, you know, isn't that just for fast people?" And I say, "Well, absolutely not." I said, "You know, the fact that you see." athletes on the telly kind of doing it before they go and race that the reason they're doing it for a reason they're doing it because it works so you know there's there's absolutely no reason that just because you're not you know you're not an athlete that you you don't need to do dynamic stretching and mobility it's absolutely part and parcel of of you being the best version of you that you can be so yeah I'm totally a, a, a convert I can't believe that I spent I spent probably about six years um, not really understanding it. And then when I did my kind of, you know, run coaching and PTing, it, it was, yeah, absolutely part of the part of the process of, of, of being the best I could be. Yeah. And I think one of the things we're looking at doing is getting the experience of yourself and Rachel for some either virtual sessions or depending what happens you know, for yeah. just getting people in the community some, you know, experience of just to know what to do and what not to do as well. So I think we're looking forward to sort of sharing that whatever yeah. form it takes. Yeah, definitely. I think the I think the way that we're thinking of doing it is doing it um, in the Black Trail Runners Zoom room, um, maybe once every two or three weeks, focusing on different kind of strength moves, different dynamic uh, stretching moves, mobility, etc. That people can just kind of add to their arsenal and kind of incorporate into their into their kind of weekly programs or, or whatever. Because it is something that you know, there's a few of us that are kind of personal trainers within the community that we want to share that sk- those skills and experience with. Um, so yeah, look out for that. I think that's you know a great way to sort of wrap up uh, D's for dynamic stretching. So I think if anyone's got any suggestions for the letter E, then you know let us know and obviously comment in our Facebook group page. I think once Sabrina puts the the, the post out there, we're looking forward to seeing what suggestions you come up with for the next time. 
So we come to uh, the final bit of this week's podcast, and that is about races. Now, what to say about races in lockdown? There aren't any. They have been cancelled. We know this. Those out there, I'm so sorry, you know, if you've been training, what to say? Well, what to say is that if you want a race, there are hundreds of virtual races out there or virtual challenges out there that you can do. Um, the one that we're supporting, because we really like it and we really appreciate the support that this race organiser has given us, is um, Black Trail Runners are supporting the Centurion Running Centurion One Community virtual challenge now that is basically a virtual challenge that takes place it starts on monday the 23rd of november and it ends at midnight on sunday the 29th of november it's for everybody anywhere in the world of any age so basically you can choose within that week to cover any race distance from 5k up to a hundred miles. Yes, people, you heard me right. A hundred miles. Basically, all you do is sign up for it for a small cost. Um, you get a bib, you get a medal, and your results, however you choose to upload them, will be shown in leaderboards and in order of like cumulative time by category, including gender, age groups. But the primary objective is to complete the challenge you set for yourself and engage with your mates, your family, and the Centurion community and the Black Trail Runners community, because we've actually got a specific event on our Facebook page where everyone that's a Black Trail Runner that's doing this can communicate, can share photos, etc., Etc. So it's just a great way to have something to focus on, get a little bit of bling, commun- com- you know, community, communicating with other people. And it's something that we as Black Trail Runners, um, as a group and um, community, are going to be getting involved with as well. So I know that there are many, many others out there. Just go online and find them. But that is one that we're going to be supporting. And I just want to add something as well. I think with the new situation that we find ourselves in, the way that we run, the way that we race has changed. And, you know, virtual races are hard, especially when you're doing it by yourself. So we are fully supportive of like people doing what they need to do to stay active. And I think it's an amazing thing. But also one thing to note, and although races, some physical races have been taken away, don't forget the reason why you're training. Yes. So for me, you know, are you training for a race or are you training for life? Yeah. So even if you can't race at the moment, just give it like, a, you know, when like a plane's about to land, it's like it's in like a holding pattern. It's waiting for a space. Yeah. Just just keep circling. You know, whether you, know, you reduce intensity, but you're still getting out there. Whether it's you know for your physical and your mental well-being, you know, just being active is amazing. So don't put pressure on yourself whether there's races happening or not. Just go out there and just don't forget the reason why you you do it. Because enjoyment has to be crucial to while we get out there. It has to be. And, and, you know, I know that I've got mates that are and friends that are like, no, I don't need a virtual race in order to keep doing what I'm doing because I run because I love it. I run because I use it to help me manage my mental health. I don't need a virtual race to help me do that. And, you know, everyone for themselves, 
everyone is different. But if you are looking for something and you want just a little bit more community, you want a little bit more accountability, you like seeing your name on a leaderboard or whatever, then there are initiatives out there that are happening like Centurion One um, that you can enter. Um, so yeah, I think I might I might give it a go. I didn't do, they had one earlier in the year at the first lockdown. I didn't do that. So maybe I'll have a go at this one as well and see, pick a distance. It might even be, it, yeah, whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, we'll be, you will see um, some promotion of that on Black Trail Runners social media um, because we fully support Centurion because they support us. Absolutely. And something in the news as well, we've launched a new campaign, 21 and 21. Oh, yes. So 21 in 21, what are we aiming to do? Um, There is, as we know, a lack of diversity of black people in trail running. So one of our our next campaign for 2021 is to see how many black trail runners we can get at an event or a set of events in 2021. So we are asking you to get involved. We want you there. We are looking for not just black trail runners. We are looking for events that want to be part of this 2021 in 21 initiative. Um, My aim ultimately is to be at an event where I look around and I see just community of black trail runners um we are looking for events that can be there for people that are new to trail running right up to kind of more experienced trail runners so really we it's it's about really getting into how do we change those numbers how do we change that lack of diversity so we've given it the name of 21 in 21 because if the stats were to add up of a race of around about 700 entrants, around about 30 or so of those should be black trail runners. Um, it's not at the moment. We know it's not because we see the data that's coming in. Um, but that is our ultimate aim is to increase that participation. So we want you to be part of 21 in 21. Please go to our Instagram, send us uh, a message if you want to be part of it we can take your details so that as soon as we know and we have event partners who are working with us we can let you know about those events that other black trail runners are participating in as well so that we can really grow this community so have a look for it online we're adding it to our website it's in the facebook community hit up any of us that you know are black trail runners co-founders we'll tell you more about it but ultimately get your details over and sign up I think what's beautiful about what's happening now is just sort of seeing the interaction with everyone on the Facebook page and on Instagram. So if you've got any events that you're taking part in, virtual or whatever, please let us know, let and us share, know. Yeah. and uh, yeah, we can celebrate you as well. Because we are, that's what we're about. You know, we want, and we're starting to see it now in our communities, more and more engagement and proactive engagement from members, talking about what they're doing, where they're doing it, who they're doing it with, people asking for advice, et cetera. That is what community is all about. And that is what we're about. So yes, share what you're doing with us and we will we will give those events either in real life when we can do them again or virtual a shout out. Thank you for joining us at The Checkpoint. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe and share online. Also... Please remember to leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected, as it really helps our podcast to grow. Your support helps make this podcast possible. 
Remember, if you have any questions, get in touch with us via our Instagram page at Black Trail Runners. Or if you want to join our community, please search Facebook for Black Trail Runners and connect with us. 